available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football, the Conference of Champions. That's where we get our name. And we have our we have championship listeners, Dave, and we want to hear from all you guys we get texts, we get voicemails, we get emails. We actually got a voicemail to play for you this week. But if you'd like to contact us, we'll tell you how to do that right now. Email us, packtoolpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather use your phone, you can call or text 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at packtoolpodcast. And of course, our website is packtoolpodcast.com. We have all of our old episodes up there. And if you're on iTunes or any other podcasting services, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, some positive feedback, all that stuff really helps to share the show with other Pac-12 fans out there. And there's there's dozens of them, David. Dozens, maybe even 20s, possibly. <laughs> you could even count them in 30s, groups of 30, as long as you don't count too many groups. <laughs> nice. Um, well, we, we're going to do uh, our, we're going to continue our Pac-12 spring reports, and we're going to uh, switch over and do Colorado uh, today, so you you know you know our friend Adam Munster Tiger from BuffStampede.com does a great job covering the Buffs. Of course, the only uh, Pac-12 school that has a new coach, uh, Mel Tucker, coming in. It'll be his first season this fall. So let's welcome in Adam. You can follow him on Twitter at AdamCM777. Thanks for coming on, Adam. How you doing? Of course, guys. I'm doing well. It's it's nice this time around. We actually get to talk about spring football. The previous couple of years, Colorado had already finished up. By uh, by uh, by this point, basically. Uh, so this year they, they've definitely pushed it back a little bit. It's nice to get back into this uh, later later schedule for spring ball. Do you get the sense that's a uh, philosophical shift for Mel Tucker from Mike McIntyre? Is it just the circumstances of finalizing staff and just kind of being behind once he was hired and everything? Uh, Mel Tucker said he's going to stick with this every year. He likes the guys to be able to come back from. Uh, you know, that winter break and have nine weeks in the weight room and really get back into shape, shape. And, and I think you, you might lose a little something too, when you finish up by St. Patrick's day and you have that long break until fall camp actually starts. I think uh, you, you lose a little bit in there. The one thing, reason that Mike McIntyre did that is because if they had major injuries, you know, early on during spring ball, they'd have more time to recover, recover, but they never really ended up having any major injuries when they pushed it back. So it didn't really serve much of a purpose. Yeah. We, it's still weird that Arizona state was over in February. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, that just doesn't, I don't know. It's just so weird. I'm glad, I'm glad they've shifted things uh, for Mel Tucker, but we got, I mean, we got to start there, Adam, like what's it been like, uh, you know, this is a first time head coaching job for, for Mel Tucker coming in, What's the, I guess, the state of the program now that he's uh, taken things over? Well, the good thing is that he inherited a program that's on much better footing than what Mike McIntyre took over back in 2012. I mean, 
the year before Mike McIntyre took over, they finished dead last in the FBS in scoring margin. So they were the worst college football team when he took over. And he did a good job of laying a solid foundation and didn't cut corners, didn't, you know, uh, he, he basically built the program up the way you'd like. And then they had that magical season in 2016, won 10 games, won the Pac-12 South, but he just was not able to take the program to the next step. And there were things that bounced their way in 16 too. So there was definitely some good luck that they had that season. And, you know, frankly, his message just got kind of got stale with the players the last couple of years. And it was apparent they needed to make a change. So Mel Tucker comes in with an SEC pedigree. You start by saying that this guy's been hired by Nick Saban three times in his coaching career. So that says something there. Comes from Georgia the last couple of years where he ran the Bulldogs defense and had a lot of success there. And they were in the national championship game a couple of years ago. And so he's trying to bring kind of a SEC mentality to Colorado. Easier said than done, but again, the cupboard's not bare. And so they, they do have depth issues in certain spots, but you've got Steven Montez, a fifth-year senior quarterback. So there's reasons to believe that they could actually have success early on during his tenure. Um, I, I, obviously, he's a defensive coach and has a great pedigree there, but counterintuitively, I'm somewhat more interested about what offensive changes he might make coming from the SEC um, to Colorado. What, what have you seen so far? Cause I think it's, it's a new OC and Jay Johnson, new offensive line coach and Chris Kapilovich. Um, and then I think they retained the wide receiver coach and the running backs coach, but what is their continuity from last year in terms of what they're going to run? Or is it going to be something wholly different? Yeah, it's going to look quite a bit different. The last, last year under Darren Chavarini, who's still on staff when he was calling plays, they went to an air raid type system. They were trying to go up tempo all the time. And it just was too predictable what they were doing. And you had a situation where late in the season last year, you had defensive players calling out Colorado's plays before they snapped the ball. Whoa. That's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when, <laughs> when LaVisca Chanel got hurt against USC too. And yeah, he came back later in the year, but wasn't quite as good as he was early on. He was, he was still pretty limited by that turf toe injury. They were really, you know, predictable. It helped early in the season because you could put LaVisca Chanel to wildcat. You could put him out at tight end out wide receiver you could really put him anywhere and he was having a lot of success so when he got hurt they got really exposed for having an offense that was too too simple basically and with Mel Tucker coming in he brings Jay Johnson on board as the OC and he's going to run a multiple offense so they're going to have parts of a pro style parts of a spread offense air raid in there Uh, the challenge there in my opinion is that you only have so much time with these college kids and so if you're going to do a lot of things you got to make sure you do them well. And so that's going to be the biggest challenge here. It does help, again, going back to the fact they have a fifth-year senior quarterback to run this system. They tried to do something similar with Dan Hawkins back in the day, and it didn't really work out that well. But part of that problem was his OCs during the Dan Hawkins era both wanted to run a spread. So there was a you know kind of a combative deal with the coaches. Jay Johnson uh, had run this system at Minnesota, Louisiana Lafayette in the past, and was the quality control coach at Georgia the last couple of years. And Jake Fromm called him kind of the unsung hero of Georgia because of what he was able to do in terms of dissecting opposing defenses and kind of implementing that into their game plan. So they're, they're optimistic about it. We'll see. Again, it's challenging. They're throwing a lot at these guys. They hadn't really used the tight end under Mike McIntyre. Now that's going to be a focal point of their offense. So that's a big challenge for them as well. Uh, but again, I mean, Jay Johnson has done well at previous stops. This is, you know, a new challenge for him. And so we'll see. But uh, I like the fact that they are going to try to 
basically run their offense based off what the defense is showing them as opposed to being stubborn about it and just trying to run the simple offense that other teams had figured out. How do you think uh, Steven Montez has uh, adapted so far? You know, he's got a lot of experience, uh, you know, going into senior season. Um, how do you feel that he's, uh, you know, taken to Jay Johnson's teachings? I think he likes it because this, this is a guy that has NFL aspirations and the stuff they were doing with him last year does not translate well to the NFL. They ask you to do a lot more in the NFL as a quarterback. And so this new system should better help, prov- uh, you know, prepare him for that next jump that he's going to make. And he's had a, an up and down career, but he's got all the physical tools. If he really puts it together this season, I, I could see him being a guy that gets drafted next year and has a chance. How is uh, my my very favorite player, LaVisca Chenault, uh, doing this spring? I mean, he had a couple of injuries, I think, last year, and then I think Katie Nixon also. But um, how's how's Chenault looking so far this spring? Well, he's limited this spring. He actually had not only the turf toe injury, but he had a torn labrum in his shoulder. So he had to undergo a couple of different surgeries. He's out of the walking boot, and he's kind of jogging around practice a little bit. They only let us into one practice so far, but he was out there wearing a blue jersey, and so – you know, with a guy like that, with that immense talent, you're not even going to take any chances with him in the spring. So I think he might be able to play if this was the season, but there's no chance to push him back into action right now. So they're t- kind of taking it slow with him. And uh, I would imagine by the summer, he'll start to participate more and more. And it sounds like they're going to utilize his versatility just like the, the former staff did, which you'd be stupid not to, honestly. This, he's a pretty special guy. You probably put him on the short list of three or four guys at that position in the history of the program. Yeah. I mean, you want to see him like running the, the short yardage back, catching deep balls. Like he can do everything. So you want to be able to make sure you utilize him. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, what would you say, I mean, it, it, you know, this is going to be more, it's going to, is it going to look like a, an sec style defense with Mel Tucker coming in? That's, that's the hope there. They, they ran a three, four base under McIntyre and they're running a three, four base under Mel Tucker, but from what we've heard, again, we've only been allowed in for one practice, but from what we've heard, there's going to be more differences than some similarities with the 3-4 scheme that they're going to run under Mel Tucker. And the, a big change that he's made coming in is he got to Colorado in was like, where is the beef on this team? Because they look more like a Mountain West program on both lines. And, you know, in the SEC, those guys grow bigger. And so the first thing they did was look to the junior college ranks to try to beef up both lines because he really didn't think he could run his system with how thin some of the linemen that he inherited were. So even with the high school guys they offered and signed last cycle and are after with this 2020 cycle are just bigger across the board than what we've seen in the past. I, I always with a new coach, like new coaches basically across the board at different spots, you see, you know, some guys maybe popping out a little bit more than they did in the past or, you know, guys find new roles who are some of the names of, you know, Colorado players who we haven't necessarily seen make an impact before that you're maybe thinking could make an impact this year in the new systems? Well, it's interesting you say that, and that is the case most of the time. But during that one open practice we had, I turned to a, another rider and said, you know, I think if Mike McIntyre was here, the first team offense and defense would look the exact same. So wow. you haven't seen any, anything dramatic there. One thing they have done is they moved Bo Bisharat, who – was a, at running back the last couple of years and, and kind of struggled because he's not all that explosive. They moved him to tight end. So they've tinkered with a few guys. They've moved Trey Udofia from cornerback to safety. And so a few small changes, but really, I mean, talent's talent. And they've kind of already identified, it seems, you know, the top guys on the 
this roster. One of the uh, the new coaches, Tyson Summers, uh, it looks like he was a head coach before. He's going to be the defensive coordinator for uh, the Buffs. I don't know how, you know, with Mel Tucker being a defensive guy, but is he another one that became went from, like, head coach to, like, a quality control assistant at Georgia? That seems kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. He was actually a defensive coordinator at Colorado State just up the road here and had, had a good success there in his one year as the coach there. And, yeah, he got hired on at Georgia Southern and really struggled. I can't remember how long he was the coach there, but it wasn't very long. They, I think they fired him midseason. And he says he learned a lot from that. He was really young when he got that opportunity. So uh, it's kind of understandable that, you know, maybe he wasn't quite ready for that, that opportunity. And then, yeah, it's just, you know, that's been a big debate on our message board is that they did hire a lot of quality control coaches. And that doesn't look good on paper. But at the same time, you know, quality control coach in the SEC is probably different than a lot of conferences, yeah. right? So yeah, he's a former head coach. Yeah, like how many yeah. how many former head coaches are quality control assistants in the Pac-12? Like I would say none. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is a little bit of a different deal. I mean, you look at Alabama staff; that's run like a professional organization. So uh, a little bit different deal. He again, he has experience as a defensive coordinator. We'll see. Uh, you know, you talk to the players, and, and he's he's more of a yeller than their previous defensive coordinator. And frankly, I, I think that's a good thing. I think. You want your offensive coordinator to be pretty cerebral. Yeah, it's cool if they have personality and you want the, the players to buy into them. But defensive coordinator that's a hard ass is not always the, the worst thing, you know. So he's, he's a guy that's got a lot of energy and he lets the players know where they stand on a, on a daily basis, which, again, I think is pretty good for this program. Hold guys accountable. Yeah, angry defensive coordinators. Definitely. That's what you want. Um, looking at uh, the schedule. Uh, what are the expectations for our man Mel in year one? Because I'm looking at this thing. There's not a cupcake in the non-conference. I mean, Air Force is probably the worst, and that's, you know, any given year they could be pretty good. And then in conference play, getting Oregon but not Oregon State, getting Stanford but not Cal, and then having to play both Washingtons. Um, This doesn't look easy to me is what I'm trying to say here, Adam. Yeah, it's funny because at Mel Tucker's intro press conference before Mel Tucker even spoke to us, the athletic director got up there and said, you know, our schedule is an athletic director's dream, but a a first year head coach's nightmare. And it really is. It's not an ideal situation. Again, it's beneficial that the cupboard's not bare and that they do have guys at talent in most spots coming back. Uh, But yeah, I mean, your, your ceiling is so much lower with this schedule uh, than, than otherwise. So it's a tough deal for him. Uh, the first thing Mel Tucker said then when he finally got up and said, you know, this is no longer an excuses program. That was something that drove the Colorado fan base crazy under Mike McIntyre is that he would always point to what was wrong and what wasn't working. And last year was injuries. And, you know, the, every fan that watches the program realizes that's part of the problem. But you don't want your head coach using that as an excuse all the time. It just kind of sets a bad precedent for your program. And so. Tucker's not going to talk about the schedule, but it's certainly an issue for them in, in year one under his tenure. Um, looking at the roster as it's comprised, you said, you know, there was, I think the recruiting class was pretty, he- pretty heavy on offensive defensive linemen. You talked about some JCs coming in. Where would you say the transfer portal? Cause that's been a big part of everybody's off season. Where does Colorado fit with that? Adding people, losing people. How's it been? It's been, it's been more beneficial for them. They, they bring in Jalen Harris, a tight end from Auburn that played a lot of football there, but they just don't throw the ball to the tight end in Auburn. And he thought he had a lot of 
NFL potential as a pass catcher and wanted to put that on film for scouts. And so he looked at Colorado again. They don't have a ton of tight end depth, and they're planning to put out uh, you know, one or two tight ends at a time and really implement them in the passing game, unlike what they did under Mike McIntyre. So they needed bodies there. It was a kind of a perfect marriage for the two of them, and he looks really good. He almost looks like he could go on a, you know, go to the buffet and be line up as an offensive tackle for them. Mm-hmm. A really big kid, somebody that had an offer from Alabama out of high school, four-star guy. So he's going to be a starter for them. And then they got another really big transfer from Arlington Hambright, uh, for, uh, an offensive tackle that played a lot of football. Um, and he's a guy that's probably going to line up as their left tackle this year. Started, I think it was the first six games for Oklahoma State last year until he got hurt. So that's another area that they just really don't have good depth or, or top-end talent. So those two guys will start. And then John Tavius Johnson, a big nose tackle type from Auburn, transferred in as a graduate transfer this winter. His uh, his fa- uh, his son's mother got in a car accident, so he went back home to kind of attend to that situation, and they think he's going to be back this summer. So three guys that could really help them uh, this year. And then they only lost one guy, and that was Israel Antwine, who wanted to transfer closer to home. He's a, he was a really good defensive lineman for them last year as a true freshman. But uh, it wouldn't have mattered if Mike McIntyre stayed. He wanted to go back closer to home. So you add three quality guys, lose one. That's probably a win at the end of the day. Yeah, probably. Uh, are, are they gonna? Um, do you think they're gonna continue to go after anybody on the transfer market after or you know towards the end of spring for uh, summer summer admission? To um, yeah, are there any specific spots that they might still try be trying to shore up? I think it would be really tough for them to do that because right now they're at 91 scholarship commitments. And so they're already going to need some attrition to get down to that 85 number. Uh, if guys get in trouble here in the coming months or decide they want to transfer out, maybe that'll open up an opportunity, but it, it's actually going to be kind of a challenge for them to get down to 85 to begin with. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, Adam Munster tiger giving us the uh, spring report. So uh, spring game is April 27th. So still several practices left. Hopefully, uh, they're not too SEC there. They let you view a few more of them uh, the rest of the way. Yeah, it sounds like, I don't know, it, it's kind of a growing trend, you know, and it makes it hard for us to do our job, obviously, because you're having to go off what the coaches tell you. And it sounds like just the spring game and this other practice we had open. But, again, it's not just Colorado that's doing it. It seems like it's kind of across the conference. It's unfortunate. I, you know, you, I try to explain to the SID that, hey, if it's not for the fans, you don't have a job. We don't have a job, and yeah. they want information. But it is what it is. It's. I don't think it's going to head back in the other direction anytime soon. Unfortunately. All right. Well, we'll let you go. Thanks. Sounds like you got some busy stuff going over there. But uh, Adam Munster Tiger, <laughs> follow him on Twitter, Adam CM seven seven seven, and of course, just go to buffstampede.com. Thanks again, Adam. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. All right, David. Interesting stuff from uh, our buddy Adam. Really curious to see. What this team uh, looks like, you mentioned the schedule is brutal. Uh, they're shifting from a lot of people are going to an air raid. They're going away from an air raid. So it should be uh, interesting. As long as you got LaVisca Chenault out there, I'm on board for whatever they want to do. Yeah, basically. I mean, just put him out there doing everything that he was doing last year and it'll be fine. But I don't know if I was a Colorado fan or really anybody with any interest in Colorado. I, I, I don't know if I would base any of my opinion on this year um, simply because that schedule is kind of brutal. And they are, you know, putting in a, uh, pretty much an entirely new system on offense, but a little bit of difference on defense as well. So, um, you know, that seems like it's going to be not a rebuild, but 
maybe two years before you're going to say anything definitive about uh, Mel Tucker and the job he's doing. Yeah. Well, we got some questions to get to, but there's a few topics, mostly from our buddy John Wilner. You know, just basically look at his. Uh, you got to subscribe to the Hotline uh, newsletter. Some really good stuff there. He always brings up interesting articles to check out. Um, he actually uh, got to. Uh, I think he was getting this from Las Vegas when he was out there. But uh, I want to read you this little excerpt from one of his newsletters. He said, President Mark Shurkin on the job for a year and a half, but with an eye on the long haul, has smartly assigned greater weight to football and men's basketball than was the case prior to his arrival when the majors seemed to be treated as equals of the Olympic sports. The best example of Shurkin's pivot was the decision to take the, quote, the pregame to campuses across the conference for day-long broadcasts. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you probably... <laughs> Not probably. You definitely should focus more attention on football and basketball. And if they're like, you know, we don't do a pregame for gymnastics, so why are we going to do it for football? At least that <laughs> seems to be in the rearview mirror now, Dave. This is one of those things where it seems like their like really god awful team um, set the bar so low in terms of expectations that this guy doing like the most obvious thing, which is prioritizing <laughs> football and basketball, uh, is like, oh my god, look at look at what little little Marky did. That's great. Um, and it's just, come on. I mean, yeah, obviously, but this is not something that it would take. I don't know how long has the Pac-12 network been in existence? Six, seven years now. Yeah, it wouldn't take you know five years to be like, huh, maybe a little bit more football content on Saturdays <laughs> would be a good idea. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh we're you know, and you figure seven years in you could get on direct TV, right? Like that's that's probably gonna be but we won't that's that's a whole nother top subject. But yep. the focus on football and basketball, I think, is a good thing. Not that it's the greatest product in the world right now, but you that's where the eyeballs are gonna be. So you wanna get the, the ratings up a little bit. You can't just focus on we're gonna show every single, you know, just because it's a live sporting event doesn't mean it's it's nowhere near equal to what basketball is and of course what football is. Yeah, totally. And so it's a good move. Um they should definitely continue to do that in all kinds of new and diverse ways. Um I think at this point th this is the kind of thing where if this had been the programming emphasis from the start, it might have forced you know, it might might have been able to keep a lot of the the bad, you know, publicity about the network from happening. Um, but at this point it's a band-aid solution because yeah. just things are so bad, but yeah, I mean, this is obviously a, an improvement and hopefully it continues. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned uh, bad publicity. They were ferocious. So there was one of the other, uh, tidbits that, um, John Wilner was writing about was basically the huge mess in the Los Angeles schools. Um, we, you know, we'll get you to talk a little about UCLA and, and trying to find a new basketball coach, which seems to be three months plus right now, but the latest with uh, USC, there was a big LA Times article coming out about Lynn Swan, the athletic director. There was a uh, some retreat, you know, for the athletic department, which you think, you know, is in a little bit of a crisis mode with three members, uh, in, not only investigated but arrested by, by the feds. Uh, instead of doing that, he flew to Virginia and did a autograph signing where he people would as pay. one does yeah as one does normal that's what that's a normal athletic director thing to do right and you know it's it's one of those things like just on its own maybe you could excuse it but with everything else that's going on it's inexcusable to me and Wilner had a great quote he said the optics aren't bad they're comically bad 
By his own words and actions, Swan continues to fuel the narrative that he is not fit to lead the Trojans. And he actually put out a statement which was <laughs> as tone deaf as every other statement he's made. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just one more thing where, you know, USC fans are looking to the, the new president, Carol Fult, to come in and hopefully, in their mind, hopefully clean house and, and Lynn Swan would be on the chopping block. Are you trying to tell me, Ryan, that for for some reason it's bad optics for the USC athletic director at this point in time to just go take a side job essentially <laughs> selling his autograph for money? Like you, you don't you don't think you don't think that's a good look? Doesn't seem so. And even you know Donna Heinel, the the athletic director who did get arrested and that was the one that made one point three million dollars. They were letting her do her side business on the USC campus. So you would you should be like hyper aware of maybe side businesses aren't the best thing to do right now. Just focus on your current business. Uh, the quote I gave, this, the, the analogy I came up with, David, let me know what you think because I trust your opinion. You'll tell me if it sucks. But if the USC athletic department was like a child, Lin Swan's acting more like an uncle than the father. You know, he needs to be the father and care for it 24 hours a day. And he seems to be like, yeah, he's there, but I got my other stuff that I'm doing. He's not my kid. Uh, I'm just there to like kind of take care of it and take him out for ice cream every once in a while. I mean, uncle, certainly not a, wouldn't in this metaphor be a good, good, good parental figure, you know, like that, that would certainly not be great. Um, but yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's probably a fair assessment. But I've had uncles who, you know, aren't necessarily like <laughs> behaving with that much of a hands-off approach to the uh, <laughs> to the to the rearing of the child, so to speak. So I don't know. I don't know. I think that. Uh, I think. I well, the thing is, I mean, this is another one that was obvious from the beginning, right? Like. Yeah. Lynn Swan being a joke of an athletic director was, I mean, maybe not day one, but like day 60 was pretty obvious that he was in over his head, right? Yeah, it's funny. The um, uh, So our friends that do the uh, the Reign of Troy podcast, so that's the fan side of USC podcast, they were talking, I listened to it, they were talking about when USC hired Lynn Swan. They're like, yeah, I didn't really get rave reviews or they well, it was kind of mixed or some people didn't know yet and then he went back and looked at the tweets and the first one he mentioned was mine where it was like usc where every hire you make has your you're scratching your head or something like that so i i questioned this from the very first second it was announced but um just another football player who has no experience doing it but yeah there i guess some people if you didn't really if you gave him the benefit of the doubt at first it probably didn't take long for you to figure out yeah this probably wasn't the right move yeah yeah so Go, go Lenny. Yeah. So that's the USC side. What's going on in UCLA land? And and we're not just because we, we know these programs. This is where all the chaos is. So that's what we have to talk about. I mean, I don't know why you're blowing up my spot here, but I guess, I mean, if we're going to announce it here, we can announce it here. Breaking news on the, uh, on the podcast of champions. I'm going to be the new UCLA basketball coach. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, hold on. Congratulations, David. That is awesome. Uh, very happy for you. Uh, could I get be, get a staff position somewhere can i do something I, look I, I think i think you should be on board i think we should get like a huffman on board a biggins on board no do they, do they know anything about basketball maybe not maybe not <laughs> but why not let's let's keep this dream alive um yeah uh that's uh, so the ucla basketball program um had a good run right 
Good run back in the sixties and seventies. That was pretty good. I heard about you that. They, they were they were above average. Yes. Oh boy, yeah, way <laughs> above average. Ten ten titles, twelve years. That was pretty great. Johnny Wooden doing well. Um, been a rough uh, forty four though. <laughs> uh, since then, been a bit of a rough one. And let me tell you, the last like twenty, particularly the last ten. Um, Really, really bad. And this is this coaching search. I don't know if this is better or worse now that I'm really diving into it than the Steve Alford coaching quote unquote search where they took five days of like panicked. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, let's give a big contract to somebody who's like a, a bad mid-major coach. Um, I don't know if that was if that was better or worse than this current search uh, right now. Uh, right of this recording. On Friday at 2 p.m., uh, Jamie Dixon is still seemingly the the target, uh, but they've been negotiating that man's buyout for like I don't know a week now. And um, a great way to appear cheap, even if you're not cheap, <laughs> is to negotiate a buyout for like seven days. When have you ever heard a buyout actually holding up a hire? It's yeah, always that's... something like oh, I'd rather not pay that. But that's something you figure out before you, you know, get to the point where you're hiring them. So that seems mismanaged. Um, so right now they're still there, but the fact that they've been negotiating the man's buyout for like three or four days, not a week, but three or four days, leads me to think that that might really be a sticking point, And I don't know where they go from there. I honestly don't. I mean, I think... They could go back to the drawing board, start again up at the top of the list, and maybe reconsider some of their vetting that they've done, and maybe there's some guys that they could pursue that they previously thought they couldn't pursue, or they drop down the list even further. Um, But whatever it is, I think at this point, it's not quite at Tennessee football coaching search levels, but it is. (laughs) It's it's interesting. There's there's some real stuff going on here. Yeah, you know, with... With Chip Kelly, it seemed like you had the, some big donors come in and just fix it. Uh, have they not done that for basketball, or apparently not? Or? I think the dynamics. I think it's going to be interesting as the dynamics come out about that, um, because I think it's it's probably the case that for super big fish, like for a, you know the, they famously offered eight million dollars a year for John Calipari. I think the money was definitely there. I just don't know if it's going to be there for the Jamie Dixons of the world or even lower than that. So that's where it is. I don't think the money is like an absolute um, would be my sense of things right now. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it is a weird and wild situation. Um, I, I, you know, there was <laughs> at the beginning, I was poo pooing anybody who was saying something like, oh, it's going to be Earl Watson because I didn't think there was any chance, and I still don't think there's much chance, but they're getting down the list now. Um, And so if the Jamie Dixon thing doesn't work out, I know one of the two guys that they were really looking at this last week was Mick Cronin, the Cincinnati coach. Um, So maybe they could pivot back to him, but I don't know if he's going to be cheesed off after, you know, it becoming obvious that they preferred... Uh, another guy that the TCU head coach over him. Um, and, you know, he's a Cincinnati guy. He probably doesn't want to um, 
lead, you know, go too far down the road with UCLA and not be sure that he's going to get hired. So I don't know. It's 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 a really interesting situation. I thought they would get it done with Jamie Dixon as of yesterday. Um, and maybe they still do right now. Um, but the fact that this public negotiation of the buyout has continued to this point is probably I mean, that's not a great thing um, yeah. just to, for the optics. Because uh, there's a few reasons for it, but the optics for UCLA aren't great. But the optics for Dixon and TCU also aren't great. I mean, if he if he is unsure that he's going to be at UCLA, he's got to either he's got to nip this in the bud pretty quickly here if he's going to have any hope of sustaining a program at TCU. Otherwise, it'll always be well. You wanted to leave at the first sign of a of another job. Yeah. So that would be ideal. Um, we we don't talk a lot of hoops, but we want to give. I mean, we want to talk about a couple of Pac-12 North programs too. Since you're the expert, uh, I guess the Mark <laughs> Fox hire at at Cal was panned a little bit, um, and Kyle Smith at Washington State. Any thoughts on those two hires? I actually I liked the Kyle Smith hire. Um, he was one that I, I always like trying to keep an eye on the low major coaches um, in the West, just because there's been kind of a lack of really good coaches emerging from west coast programs for a while now um so he was one that i kind of had my eye on um he was uh i believe he was san francisco um and had kind of turned him around a little bit um so i think that's a good potential hire i think that's something that's the kind of thing that washington state should do which is just kind of take a flyer on a guy don't invest a ton of money and then give yourself flexibility to you know go make another move in three or four years if it doesn't work out um, and I think he has a decent chance of working out. Um, Mark Fox um, is a, I think it's a bad hire. Um, he was unsuccessful at Georgia, but in a really, really mediocre way. Um, he was there for nine years, but never had a season where he didn't have double digit losses. Um, he was like consistently right around 500 or a little bit above, which in basketball is not good. Um, he was fine in a bad SEC for a few years, um, but really, really just kind of a, a mediocre coach. Um, he did okay at Nevada early on in his career, but um, I don't think that projects well to what he'll do at Cal. I think they needed to kind of go, not the Washington State route where they just hire a pure up-and-comer, but uh, God, I would have, you know, look at Randy Bennett. He's up there too. Um, see if he's interested in being your coach. Um, he's the St. Mary's coach. He's always done a nice job there. Um, go look at Eric Musselman, see if he wants to come over. Um, I know that's, you know, Nevada's doing pretty well right now, but I think that might've been a, a thing to pursue. I know he's, I think he's in talks with Arkansas right now. Um, but maybe he would have wanted to stay West. Um, I, I think this is a very mediocre hire. All right. So one good, one not so good. Uh, we'll see. And we still don't know what's going on in Arizona, right? That, so Sean Miller's the uh, longest tenured coach in the Pac-12. Seems like he's sticking around, right? He's, or uh, We don't know yet. I, I, we don't know for sure yet, but, uh, you know, the reports of his demise seem to have been exaggerated. Um, <laughs> there was definitely... You know, some talk right at the end of the season when he gave that kind of weird speech um, uh, after that one game or halftime of that one game, I think the final, the senior day, um, where it sounded like a goodbye and a lot of people in the national media blew it up. Um, but then it's, he's still there yeah. and it seems like he's going to be there. Um, now, who knows what happens with this long investigation that's going on. But um, yeah, for now, I think he's still there and 
um, you know, for the foreseeable future is going to be recruiting pretty damn well in Arizona. Yeah. Jason Shearer, I think he brought that up and said, yeah, they, he tried to clarify that saying it wasn't some kind of goodbye speech or whatever, but we'll see. Well, I can't believe we talked about hoops like that, but you know, we, we had to, UCLA is the, you know, the bell cow program in basketball in, you know, in the, if the conference of another country and to not have a coach for over three months and it just looks, looks strange. So, uh, Wilner brought all that stuff up. He also, um, I don't know if you got to read this story. So it was a story by the entertainment strategy guy who I've never heard of, but he did like a four-part series. Uh, the third one had a lot of like financial jargon in it. I read it, um, but I'll, I'll read you a little expert that excerpt that Wilner uh, put in there. I don't know if you got to check it out, uh, but he said the Pac-12 networks likely will miss out on somewhere between Two hundred seventy-six to eight hundred sixty-nine million dollars over the twelve-year period from two thousand twelve to two thousand twenty-four by not joining with a strategic partner. That means that to justify this decision, the media rights deal signed in two thousand twenty-five and beyond need to be worth something like nine to twelve billion dollars, or three to four times the value of the current deal. And that's and that, you know, I'm no financial expert, but that's always been my thoughts, David, is like you're missing out for 12 years so much. It's like even if you get a great deal, it has to be ridiculously good just to try to make up the shortfall, like the the bad deal that this was for the last nine or 10 of the, the 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't uh, I don't know if that's the best way to look at it. Um, I, I, I don't like, are you really like making up money? Like it's whatever you, you invested in that, that money's gone. I mean, I think if they're, if their rights deal, whenever they get it is comparable, they will be immediately competitive with whatever those schools are that year. Um, so I don't know if you're actually making up a shortfall from the previous years, because also most PAC 12 schools, when the initial money from all this stuff came in, built new facilities, so I don't think many of them are even going to be building because that those are the things where you really need the capital. Um, or if you you know get a huge investment of like you know tens of millions of dollars, you can go build some buildings. But I think most of the schools have either renovated or built new buildings in the last five six years. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily buy that. I'm more concerned that whenever they do get the rights going, that they will still then be at a significant competitive disadvantage. Um, you know, year over year from that point, but uh, making up a shortfall that they, that, uh, you know, I think it's, I, you know, I, I, I do buy that the money is a big problem. Um, but I don't necessarily buy the, at a certain level, there are diminishing returns on the value you get for that money. Um, and I just, I, I don't, I, I'm not worried as much about a shortfall as much as I am them nailing the next right sale. All right. And then, uh, one other note I wrote down Ross Bowers, uh, former Cal quarterback transferring, to Northern Illinois. I don't know. Is it not too exciting, but there was a little note. I won't be able to screw up his name anymore. No, Ross, Ross Bowers. Um, Ross Bowers. So, uh, you know, one thing I forgot to do, David, I forgot to do this. Colorado Buffalo. But I, I, there's a good thing there's no statute of limitations on this podcast. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, no, we're 50 minutes in. We haven't talked to Adam for about 30 of those. Yeah, <laughs> let's play it now. <laughs> I just want to make sure, like the Colorado listeners, if they've like, oh, we didn't get to hear the Buffaloes. Because that's a really cool sound with the, the stampede and everything going on. And it goes really well with Adam's site, Buff Stampede. Um, but yeah, but I got another sound to play. We, uh, we got a voicemail this week. I have not listened to it. Uh, so... I apologize if it's if there's something uh, 
<laughs> something ferocious about it, but we're going to just play it and uh, get your thoughts. Here you go. Hey, guys. Uh, great job with the podcast. Uh, thought it's going to record in this time. Uh, sorry if it takes like two hours to answer all my questions. A lot of questions. Giving you a heads up. But I'm uh, doing it by voicemail, so that should make up for the time difference. So first question is, if you could tell us which Disney villain each athletic director would be, um, I'd be really curious to hear what that would be. Just kidding. No, please don't do that. Um, my real questions are, uh, with the 2024 year coming in the negotiations, can you kind of talk about what you expect or how you expect them to go, what the worst-case scenario is and what the best-case scenario would be? Um, my, I guess my second question is, is uh, you know, I'm really interested with the Wilner article back in, I think it was November or December, just about Larry Scott and just, uh, you know, really negative article. And I just kind of wanted to know, you know, with it being so long ago, have you seen that the, the effects and outrage have declined to this point? Or do you feel like there's, it's still pretty steady, um, you know, and I, you know, I, I just kind of feel like it's a shame. It, it didn't come, you know, it couldn't come out in the beginning of the season. And, you know, the, all that, that hatred from the fans could kind of just snowball. Um, but, you know, do you see it? I guess my next question would be is do you see that continuing into the next season and being something that it gets to, to you know, so so hot that, you know, and so furious that, you know, that the, the presidents are going to have to act on it. So, so that's all my questions. Thanks for answering them, and uh, thanks for all the good work you do, and um, take care. Okay, good stuff. Did he give us his name? Uh, let me play the beginning real quick and just see. Hey guys, uh, great no. job with the podcast. Uh, thought it's gonna... Oh, no. did I skip it? Uh, did I? Yeah. No, no, uh, he he didn't he didn't give us his okay. name. Okay, that's okay. Hi, friend. Um, so, uh, call I have. Uh, I mean, the phone. worst. I mean, I, we'd have to get Wilner on to talk about. I think the specifics of the twenty twenty four. But my my sense is the worst case scenario is that they maintain at the current level they are, um, where they don't whatever they don't get a good um deal from anybody and they have to kind of roll this all forward again um where it's kind of in the same boat i don't think that's likely i think they would at that point there'd be a change in leadership and they would have to figure something out but i don't know what's your worst case scenario wow could it get worse than what it is so so the pac 12s already turned down you know uh a net, you know a deal from espn that didn't seem um, it, it's sort of like it would go back on, Hey, you know, all that sacrifice you made, uh, it was for not because we're just going to do basically the same deal. You should have done that. And you're not going to get as much money. So I guess it would be the worst case is not being able to really take advantage of full ownership of the network. Like you sell uh part of, you know, you sell a percentage of it, 20% for $750 million. Everyone gets a little bit of a windfall, but that goes away after a while. You're now in debt. You don't own the entire network anymore and there really wasn't a bidding war so you get a decent deal but nothing that's going to kind of even make up a little bit of that gap that's already there so uh i i i feel like I, worst case scenario i think the the schools are still going to get something around that time and the, the the time that the deal was signed in 2012 looked good i mean but and every tv person i talked to said meant a 12-year deal those things after five years, like you want to rip them up and start again. And so it, I guess worst case, Dave, would, for me would be 
it's good for the first year or two, but then after that, it's just a long time of suck, just like this last one was. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder what how much the public struggles of the Pac-12 have hurt their leverage in any potential negotiation going forward. Yes. Just the fact that they've just been so publicly poorly led, but also so publicly like the, the league isn't like the, the perception is that the league is just garbage, like just absolute garbage, even though that's probably not a good depiction of the reality, um, especially in like the context of like even like three or four years ago, the Pac-12 in hoops was really good. And so it wasn't football. Um, but the perception is such that they're, you know, kind of garbage right now. hopefully that turns by 2024 so that's not something hanging over the head of the Pac-12 but I wonder how much just kind of the poor leadership and the the weird decisions the Pac-12 has made has has hurt their negotiating position with uh with television networks yeah and you know I think Andrew sent me a series of 17 tweets where he showed me that the Pac-12 was actually the best conference so you should probably look that up um (laughs) I think you're mistaken uh, as, as far as the Larry Scott outrage and uh, a decline in that, yeah, Wilner wrote a story in November, but everybody's written stories since then too. I don't think the outside pressure on Larry Scott has waned at all. I think there's, it's you know, the fans talk about it, writers talk about it. John Canzano has come out guns blazing, like his that four part series. Like it's he's not been. I mean, there's a reason we have this soundbite. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, it's, this has been going on for quite a while, a uh, friend with a phone caller. Um, so I don't, I think it's definitely going to continue. And I don't think Larry Scott even acknowledges it. Like they're in their own world there. Like in their mind, they're spinning things the way they want it spun. Um, you know, the media is unfair and in, in, not informed and all of that. So I feel like this is going to keep going. I don't feel it stopped. Um, and I don't feel it's going to impact Larry Scott all. It has to impact the the CEOs. It has to impact all the presidents, chancellors, all that stuff. Because otherwise, no no moves are going to be made. Because it's you know in Larry's mind, he's doing a great job. They're not the laughing stock of of college football or college athletics. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all true. And I think you're I think you're dead right that I, I think the external pressure and also the internal pressure. I don't I don't see it abating at all. And I think his position has declined. So um, yeah, I, th- I think there will be. I think it'll be one of the major like broad league stories heading into next year is, you know, is Larry Scott, what is his position with the league? Is he on, you know, whatever the equivalent of a commissioner hot seat is. Um, I think that's going to be a big through line for next season, especially if the league isn't great again, because that'll provide kind of a, you know, not necessarily a a super factual, but a a backdrop for um, his own uh, inefficiencies as a leader. All right. Um, we go to emails. Do you want to do John Jonathan's or you want me to? Where are we? Where's Jonathan? I have it. If you, I can do it. Um, suggestion for off-season podcast. This is from uh, Jonathan. Got Ryan, it. Ryan and Dave. I find your topic. Why don't I do this one? Okay. This one's insane. Okay, you do it. Okay. I find your topical selection for each week's podcast to be excellent. Ditto with the comments and discussion offered by you and your guests. Please keep it up. My purpose in writing is to suggest an off-season topic for an entire podcast, perhaps ideal for the doldrums of early summer when nothing else is going on. My suggested podcast topic refers to the unconventional and highly successful strategy used by the high school football coach who is commonly referred to as the coach who never punts, Kevin Kelly. Apparently, his strategy has two main aspects. He rarely, if ever, punts on fourth down, and he almost always elects to attempt onside kicks. While much has been written about Coach Kelly's tactics, I am fascinated by two questions— 
One, would such a strategy work for any FCS division football program? I think FBS, right? Uh, we'll probably, he, he, probably might mean be, FBS. he might be saying FCS, yeah. Maybe FBS and FCS. Okay. Whatever. Would it be rational? And two, would it be rational for any head coach or AD in their right minds to adopt or tolerate such a strategy? I expect that there have been many podcasts that have addressed these same questions. Nonetheless, my guess is that POC listeners would welcome such a podcast and would also welcome the opportunity to debate these questions via their emailed comments in subsequent podcasts. Consistent with the above, I suggest that you read up on the topic, then invite two or more learned football tacticians, hopefully to include Coach Kelly, to debate these questions. My gut tells me that such a strategy would prove to be more useful than the doubters and naysayers believe, but that the only place where such a strategy might succeed is for a perpetual cellar-dwelling program or a program that is now destined to be a perpetual bottom-dweller in the Pac-12, e.g. Oregon State or USC. Haha. <laughs> However, my gut also tells me that there is no realistic chance such a strategy would ever be adopted in the FCS, even by bottom-dwellers. So I think he does mean FBS. Okay. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what my man Jonathan means. All right, all right, Ryan? all right. I mean, he put it twice, right? I know. Uh, obviously, any coach or AD who endorsed such a strategy would face enormous ridicule and would doubtless kiss their careers goodbye. It would be a ridiculously ballsy move, if not downright insane. Still, think of the enormous nationwide media attention and celebrity status that such a strategy would confer upon a coach and or AD who adopted such a strategy. The team would be on ESPN highlights constantly. Moreover, in this curious media-driven world we live in, the enormous notoriety and controversy that would be generated might actually help the school in myriads of ways, including slowly recruiting better athletes and elevating academics. Hail Mary plays are rarely successful, but when they work, they are spectacular and captivate everyone. If Coach Smith is not able to elevate OSU to middling status in a few years, then hell, there is nothing to lose. I say go for it, but I know it will never happen. Wow, what a what a bummer! Uh, if you do elect to provide a podcast on my suggested topic, please announce this on your podcast with several weeks' advance notice, or let me know by email, as I am an intermittent listener and I would hate to miss the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. That's a lot of requests from Jonathan. We want you to Whew. we want you to do this. Uh, this is the topic I want you to talk about. I want you to get a couple of super experts <laughs> to come on there. Maybe the guy we're talking about. And once you do, make sure you uh, text me because I don't really want to like pay attention to when your podcast drop. So <laughs> make sure you text me because I don't actually listen to you idiots. <laughs> um, I don't know. This sounds interesting. I can, I, I'll, I'll shoot an email. I don't know. That's why about not? all I can commit to. I did. Why not? Yeah. I mean, we could try to talk to him. So I read up a little bit uh, on him before, you know, everyone's, I think heard. Uh, I've read that article, like the same, like two articles that have been written about him a yeah, there's times. there's been some. And I think um, there were some comparisons to actually what Chip Kelly was doing at Oregon, where a lot of people copied it. But it was Chip Kelly did some innovative things, but it was closer to what guys were comfortable doing. Where this is like way off the reservation as far as what they feel comfortable to do. But the math backs up a lot of what uh, Kevin Kelly does and i think there's a you know probably a better middle ground and dave is always an advocate for going for there's like the the math if it's fourth and one like you almost want to go for it anywhere on the field but certainly i think you could take it to well okay if you're outside your own 40 you should go for it every time like something like that like that would probably work if we could make something like that mainstream and it wouldn't be you kind of like bite a little chunk off of it as opposed to going for it on your own, you know, two yard line or something like that. And there, there was an interesting article too, where someone was like kind of critical of like, well, 
could his strategy have cost them a championship? It was like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, like they lost the championship where they gave up 26 points in the second quarter because, you know, three times they went for it, fourth down and failed, like threw a pick six, you know, fumble snap or something like that. And it, it kind of cost them the game, but they had won like f- five of the six years. So yeah, they didn't win that year, but they probably wouldn't have won those five, or six years if he didn't have that strategy. So uh, I think it seems to work really well. I'm, I'm curious to see though, what, if you think it would work uh, at this next level. I think math works no matter what level you're at. Yeah. So yeah, I think it would work. And the, the the main thing I would say is uh, that's a good example because I think people get – this is one of those areas where I think people are really failed by our math education because they don't ever learn about statistics and probability in a real way. Like you learn it like at the very, very basic level and I think middle school math and then maybe again – Maybe it's like a section of algebra, but it's not really anything. And then if you don't take stats, you don't ever really do any of this. Um, Just because an outcome doesn't work 100% of the time doesn't mean it's the wrong process. It doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. Um, Playing the odds, it's it's like maybe for some people, if you're playing poker, right? If you make the right decision when you have a certain hand, and you know you're going to win that hand 55% of the time if you make that decision and 45% of the time if you make the other decision just because you know if you do the right thing 3 times in a row and you lose each time it doesn't mean it wasn't the right thing um and so it's a it, it, it depends on how you know how much of football is you know the luck and skill and all this other stuff going on with the players and how much of it is just the pure math of it um, and there's a there's a obviously a, a divide depending on the team where that is you know how much it's going to be impacted by the individual talent of the players versus you know whether you're on a fourth and one and you can get that yard or whatever it is but playing the odds like playing the the just the math game nobody does it perfectly nobody does it even really well I mean the ones who do it the ones who do it at like a below average god awful level are like the best ones and then they're the ones who are like not even paying attention to the math which is the vast majority of these guys yeah um but yeah no this guy i mean he he cracked the code to an extent um but kicking should be barely a, a thing in this sport like it, it, the the rate at which any team kicks is insane like from any kind of mathematical perspective and um, I think the first person who figures that out, like in a real way, not in the way that like Chip Kelly, oh, wow, he goes for two and he, he you know, fake punts a bunch. Like even he was not even close to optimal um, at Oregon. Um, the first one who really figures it out and is really willing to just say, screw it. I don't care if people ridicule me and I don't care if this, you know, if this doesn't work this time. Um, the first one who does that, I think, is going to win a ton of games. Yeah. I mean, you have really good points, though, on the result. You get beca- you can become so results-oriented, and, you know, when, when the guy makes a call, you know, someone pushes all in, and the guy calls, and he has a 5% chance of winning, that's a terrible call. Like, if he did it 20 times, he'd only win once. But the one time he wins, you're like, oh, that was the right call. Like, no, it wasn't. It was the worst call. Or, the, you know, your buddy that refuses to hit when he has 16 and the dealer's showing a 10 and you're playing blackjack in Vegas. Like, no, you need to hit. Like, that's the best thing. Oh, see the dealer bust. It was the right thing. Like, really, statistically, it was not. But, you know, the, you yeah, look at the results. I, and I think we know, all know the obvious ones where it's not It's not even close to 50-50. Like, fourth and one on the opponent 40. 
Uh, if you're not going for that, you're dumb. Like yeah. you're just you're actually a dumb person. <laughs> um, but there's also the ones like so that's that I think is starting to change. I think more teams are more coaches are getting that. But those are the easy ones. Those are like I've got an ace king and you've got a five two. <laughs> you know I can I I can beat you eighty percent of the time or whatever it is. Um, but the ones that are a little bit more nuanced, like fourth and one on your own thirty, like. That's probably still a go, guys, yeah. because fourth and one anywhere is a go. But who's making that call? And I think the ones who figure that out, who figure out, look, my the marginal gain I get from this is worse than any than than the marginal loss I get on average. I'm going to go for this. Um, the ones who understand that and and really get it early um, or soon, um, I think are gonna they're gonna they're going to win a ton of games and a ton more games than they should uh, relative to their talent. And I hope a big school figures it out, but obviously that's not the way risk works in this sport. Right. Um, it, it will be something to, uh, to Jonathan's point where if any FBS school ever does it, it's going to be one with nothing to lose like an Oregon state or uh, um, probably even lower than that. Oregon state does have stuff to lose, but um, it, probably somebody at the uh, group of five level, it's just like screw it. Let's let's try something new. And I think you have to do it the right way because this isn't like rolling dice where it's just going to be completely random. Like if you if you just you know you're a coach that doesn't really take a lot of chances and you never go for it, and then you send your team out there, their their confidence probably isn't very high. Like whoa, he's sending us out there. We never do this, you know. Where if you like, hey, we're gonna if it, we're past the thirty, you make a rule fourth and one, we're going for it no matter what. Uh, I think you give the team confidence and then they're going to have a better chance of succeeding going out there where if you normally don't do it, uh, maybe that, you know, a couple of players are doubting it and the play doesn't work. It's blown up. So uh, you want to give yourself the best chance. And if you have if the guys know they're going to do that and you, you know it's the right call, they'll probably be a little looser and a little more. Hey, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. If we don't make it fine, but we have confidence. This is the right call. And we're going to do it. And I think that's also important is uh, the larger point there is be consistent. Whatever you choose to do, I would be consistent with it um, from that perspective, the psychological perspective. But also, if you're trying to play an odds game, you want as much volume as you can, right? So if you make, if you go fourth and one and you make the right mathematical decision and you get stuffed, and then the next time you don't go in fourth and one, you're losing your opportunities to make up that loss. Yeah. Like if, if you do that on your own 40 and say that's a 60-40 call and you get the 40% twice in a row, and then you don't take it that third time, which might have been that one time you actually get it, you're just, you're screwing yourself. Um, So I think a lot of coaches are very results-driven. A lot of them are very reactionary, and a lot of them are very dumb. Um, And that's, you know, it's whatever. It's a great great job if you can get it. But um, I think every every single football coach in America would be improved with an actual statistical background of any kind, head coaching. Um, I think the other position groups, I think, I think, I think football teams could reasonably draw their head coach from ranks outside of former players. I think below that level, um, you really need somebody who's played the game to understand the nuance of what to do in this situation and all that stuff. But for the head guy, so much of what you're trying to do are like the broad strategies and tactics on game day from like a game management standpoint that not having the background in game theory, in statistics, in, you know, kind of just being able to hold in your mind time and score and what it means, like, because your fourth down decision making will adjust based on the time. Um, You know, you will get a lot more conservative if you've got a lead and there's only a couple minutes to go. 
Um, but knowing when and where and how to do that, I think it, it requires a lot more just uh, acumen than a lot of these guys have. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, should we move on? Yes, absolutely. Revisiting expansion and division alignment. This is from Sean. He said, hey, guys, Sean from Ohio. Two questions this week. First, would the conference consider eliminating football divisions in favor of guaranteeing the top two teams in the title game? It appears other conferences are considering the Big 12 model. What do you guys think? What do you think about this one, David? Mm, I, I, I don't hate it. Um, I think it... I think it would be completely fine, but then, like, what's the, even the value in having divisions? Yeah, Just, I, if I you're playing it. the round, ro- yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, and I've heard a lot of people say, like, why would you even have them? Like, what do, what does it matter? Um, you could do a round robin sort of thing, and you know, skip people, whatever it is, and you know, have like natural rivalries where you play every year. I, I don't have an issue with it. I don't, I don't think I have a strong opinion, but I feel like divisions are just like it's this made up thing that everyone does and you just keep doing it. Cause that's what you've been doing. Yeah. I think that the only issue I'd have with it is because of the unbalanced schedules, you could end up with a situation where two North teams, for example, miss the two best South teams in a particular year. And the South had to like, whatever, or the North had to beat up on each other and they end up with a whole bunch of five and fours and six and threes, but the South, you know, four of those teams were cupcakes and so the top two teams ended up each seven and two but that's not necessarily a reflection of of their quality um so i don't know if you could do it just based on record um so maybe i'll go back on what i said i think you've got to do the divisions this way um unless they're really willing to break the mold and and go advanced analytics with how they determine uh who the top two teams are um if they're willing to do that or agree on some sort of system for determining that the same way we agreed on a system for determining, you know, the national championship game for many years, the BCS, um, if they agreed on something like that, I think it might work. But otherwise I think the divisions are probably the best bet. Um, even though it hasn't guaranteed, obviously a, a result that's between the top two teams in the league. I don't, I, I yeah, I, I it's, it's, I think a record when you don't do a round robin and even when you do a round robin is probably a, a silly way of determining quality, um, but it's the best thing we've got right now. All right. And the second he said, this is a follow-up to another listener's question on expansion last week. Other than the Texas-Oklahoma scenario, I don't feel there is a real viable contender for expansion for the conference. The only, quote, outside-the-box choice I could maybe see would be Air Force, specifically for the academic benefits and prestige, I guess, of a military academy joining the league. Any other doomsday scenarios out there? I love the pod, and thanks. Mm. Air Force? I've never really thought about Air Force. I haven't really either. But, I mean, what kind of market are you are you bringing in? I You're mean, not bringing in any market. Hmm. Um, that's probably the number one and, and probably the insurmountable issue there because it's just... Um, I mean, it's basically the same mountain country that's already well trod by Colorado and Utah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they would do it um, unless they have to like do it just to get to an even number of schools <laughs> at some point. Like, say they get one like really good one that they want. Um, like, if you, you had know, Texas, someone, like you have to yeah. bring them in, and you need a partner, and that's the only one you can get. But otherwise, I don't think it's worth it. Well, and even in that scenario, I think they would take somebody closer like san diego state or something um and san diego state's probably a better fit 
I think just from a philosophy standpoint, like taking a military academy would just be a different deal than any other university in the league. Um, so I don't know if that would necessarily work best among the potential, like the, the potential options that don't expand the footprint. I don't know if Air Force would be on the top of that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, this is from Travis. UCLA questions for the bearded one. Ooh, nice. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, Ryan. All right. Says, hi, folks. Ryan, I suppose I should have numerous questions for you, given the fact that USC just continues to embrace every manner of scandal. But alas, I do not. <laughs> I read about it in the papers, and it didn't seem altogether surprising, so I haven't really registered what the allegations against the university really are. I continue to think, however, that your friendship with Dave, the bearded one, a proud socialist and UCLA alum, is a sign that we can all get along, even though we're all tribal and very stupid about hating each other for especially negligible reasons. Well said. Anyway, Dave, three questions. One, I'm curious what your assessment of UCLA's last four coaching searches at the time the hire was made actually were. Were you optimistic about Durrell, Neuheisel, or Mora? I guess I don't need your assessment of Kelly. We were all stoked. Okay, uh, Durrell, um, this was very early on. I didn't have a great, uh, I didn't have much opinion on it, um, but that one, it was pretty obvious after like a year, that one wasn't going to be great. Um, so the closest thing I can say is after a year, I was pretty much out on that one. Uh, Neuheisel, I was semi-optimistic when he was hired. I thought his mix of, um, you know, the glad-handing, you know, loving the school, recruiting. I didn't anticipate him being such a horrible coach um, and so disorganized and just, like, bad at all these things that you wouldn't expect somebody who'd been a head coach for as long as he was to be bad at. Like, just, like, having a practice plan, you know, more than, like, 10 minutes before you go into practice. Um, Just all this kind of stuff where it's like, wow, you're just, you're not organized at all. And then he was a horrible game day coach. Um, That's tough without gloves though. Like how are you going to get a practice? It's it's so (laughs) like, you're just like, I I keep building my practice plan, but I just, what are they going to wear on their hands? (laughs) Um, He did win the uh, AAF though. That was now defunct. No, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He 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 tweeted and claimed that he did. And Steve Spurrier told him to blow it out (laughs) his ass. And I buy, I I buy Steve Spurrier any day. Um, Champion of the AF, Rick Neuheisel. Yeah, yeah, plenty yeah. of gloves. Um, and then, uh, and then Mora. I was neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I was. That's the point where I started to become like just kind of like whatever. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do whatever it is they do. I wasn't super pessimistic. He was one that I was like thinking about back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I think it was um, when they were moving on from Darrell because he was kind of a hot commodity at that point. Um, and, you know, there was always talk that he wanted to go to college. Um, so I wasn't, like, super down on it. But I also had no reason to be, like, super optimistic. So um, so Darrell, I didn't really know or care. Neuheisel, semi-optimistic. Mora, basically inert. And then Kelly, I was obviously um, very optimistic. All right. Um, and then number two, this is a distinct hypothetical, but what if Chip Kelly doesn't work out? Will you still laud the search committee for landing him? The process was great. The ultimate outcome, if Chip doesn't work out, would have turned out poor. How do we reconcile that as fans? The process is functional, and yet we still don't yield any tangible returns. This, I think, is why Bruin, uh, battered Bruin syndrome exists. I, you great. have to be happy. Like it, you did. Yeah. You got the guy everybody wanted. So that's that's what you know. If everyone else would have been wrong too. So I don't think you can be. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you did the right thing. Yeah, this is a yeah, hundred percent right. Um, it's the same thing. I mean, it's sort of the same thing we were talking about earlier. I mean, don't be results oriented. 
Was the process good? Did they land the top coach on the market that year? Yes and yes. So, okay, it doesn't work out, but they've proven now that they can go and do something like that. They can land the top coach that Florida wants. Um, and so that's that's good in and of itself. If you can take the long view, if you can just sit back and say, okay, all right, if it doesn't work out, if Chip Kelly you know, crashes and burns and it's three or four years of just badness, um, you can still say, okay, well, UCLA nailed that process, and now they just have to go back to the well and try again. It's like, you know, that was a fourth and one, go for it on the 40. Yeah. And, you know, 70% of the time or whatever, you're going to convert that. So, but you okay, it didn't, what you it didn't work out. What you is, okay, that didn't work. We have to go back to the Carl Durrells of the world. Like, no. Yeah, we have to go hire an alum again or some <laughs> nonsense like that. Like, no, do, do what you did again. Identify a candidate, put in the back channel work early on, and make it, you know, very apparent and do what you need to do to get them when you can get them. And that's what they did. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But that process was good, and they can they can build on that process next time if they have to. And then three, favorite UCLA football player in the last 30 years. You can do basketball, too, if you're so inclined. His is Aaron Aflalo. Um, all right, favorite football player in the last 30 years. Got to go Miles Jack, I think. Wow, okay, that's good. Just what the way he was able to just kind of change the game at like several different positions was just that was pretty wild for me. Um, basketball, I'm probably with you there on a flalo. Um, just so cool to watch a guy who like probably still to this day can't jump higher than I can. Um, just will himself to being a very good college player, and then for like a period of like seven or eight years. A really good NBA player. I never would have guessed that in a million years, uh, but he is a uh, epitome of what work ethic can do for you. Um, so yeah, I think Aaron Aflalo, um Still, that that Cal game, his sophomore year up at Cal, the clinch. I think it was the clinch the Pac uh, ten at that time. That was one of the coolest things. Um, so. Yeah, he rules. And then, uh, thanks for continuing in this podcast during these doldrum spring days. The five Pac-12 fans remaining after Larry Scott's desecration of the league are thankful. Yeah. Cheers, Travis. Um, from a USC perspective, I would say, like, a lot of Trojan fans, if you had to, like, who's the 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 Bruin you hated the most? Um, so it would be, you know, on the other side, who UCLA fans should like the most. Maybe this is a little bit older, but, like, you, Cade McNown would probably have to be up there. Football yeah. wise, and Don McLean probably on the basketball side. Like that dude just never missed. He just was like the mid range jumper, which is, I guess, the lost art. Just was, uh, he was just a stud at that. Yeah. Would you, would those be up there on your list at all or not really? Um, I never watched Don McLean in college because oh, okay. I was oh, you were like, like six. You were like a little um, baby. And McNown, like, that was also like I was in like early teenagehood for most of that. So yeah, it was fun. Um, but, I don't yeah I, I think the the ones that you experience like in and after college are the ones that maybe stick with you the most at least for me from my fandom perspective um so yeah uh all right uh this is Fidelio which is is that some sort of like uh symphony or something or I don't know uh Fidelio well fidelity is oh, god damn it has yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's one of B- Beethoven's. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's no, one of Beethoven's that. operas. Okay, not. A but symphony, I think the, the meaning of it is probably something to do with loyalty, right? I would guess. Fidelity, just like the Latin, whatever. But 
I'll, I'll read it if you want to check it up. So Hitler Day. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> don't, you don't have to. Um, he said, I'm surprised you boys didn't spend more time talking to Dan Sorensen about the Utah fan base tempest over Andy Ludwig uh, last week. So that's the offensive coordinator that the Utah um, signed. On the one hand, he was the OC for Utah's glory days before they made the jump. And the other Mountain West teams he coached for, Fresno State and San Diego State, seemed to like him as well. But he's almost universally reviled for the offensive doldrums he brought to every Power 5 school he's coached at, Oregon, Cal, Wisconsin, and Vanderbilt. And the first three of those saw immediate scoring and advanced statistical improvements the year after he left. I've seen quite a few Utah fans say they're not happy with the recycle. It's pretty easy to pick... uh, a through line here. He runs a very basic pro style that works in non-power conference, but when faced with more athletic defenses, it falls apart. Do you think that tells the whole story? Even so, wouldn't that be good enough to uh, compete in the South, which is, after all, the mid-major division of the Pac-12? Is there a chance he's as bad a mismatch with Tyler Huntley's talents as Noel Mazzoni was or is with Khalil Tates? And what do you make of the personal friendship between Ludwig and Kyle Whittingham is this a Clay Helton move? Oh, interesting stuff, Hithlet, eh? Very interesting question. Um, so uh, kind of working in reverse order a little bit, I wouldn't discount that Kyle Whittingham at this point in his career has some influence over the offense. Because um, frankly, I mean, it, it didn't look all that different with Troy Taylor at the end of last year than it did at like any point in the last like 10 years. A little bit better. But I, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't see a whole lot different from a lot of what they were doing with, you know, uh, Travis Wilson and all that other, you know, all those other quarterbacks they've had over the years. So I, I think there's some systemic, like just program systemic ideas that they're trying to build off of. And I think, you know, Ludwig might be a, a willing collaborator with Whittingham on that. So I think I would take a little bit of that. Um, but I think you're also on to something with... Um, not just, um, you know, that kind of offense might work when when Utah wasn't a Power 5 school, but also, um, you know, when he was at Fresno State and San Diego State. Um, but also, it's just those were both kind of pretty far back in his tenure. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a little bit outdated, too, at this point. Because um, if you're not evolving in this game... Um, cause Noel Mazzoni was think uh, was famously a pro style coach. And then he developed a spread offense when he saw everything going to the spread, um, which is how he kind of reinvented his career in like 2005. So, um, you know, maybe a little bit outdated in addition to, um, you know, maybe just not quite as good at the, uh, at the level with athletic defenses. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel I, I I didn't really know a lot about him, so I want I'm not going to say I expected Utah fans to be outraged or I expected Dan Sorensen to come in and say all that kind of stuff. I thought you know Hithley brought up some interesting points, uh, but like like Dave said, sometimes you have a head coach that has influence over the offense, and it's not you know if, if the offense gets statistically worse when when the offensive coordinator leaves, did the head coach leave too? I mean, there's a lot of factors involved in that, but that's definitely something to to watch for. It could be. Clay Helton-ish, uh, we've seen Utah go through a lot of offensive coordinators, and it's not just about getting results. Sometimes you you know, you know have a guy like Kyle Whittingham who's been there forever. He wants to make sure the chemistry between his coaches is right. So would he rather hire someone familiar versus someone going out from outside the program to just come in and run a crazy offense that he doesn't really have as much control over? That's probably a factor in there too. Yep, you're probably right. 
All right, this is from our man Thomas. Uh, he says, happy Cesar Chavez. Oh, my God. This is long. <laughs> hey, guys, given Dave's epic rant last episode against the rampant abuses of unbridled cap- capitalism, yeah, we have a football show. Um, I wanted to wish him first and foremost a happy Cesar Chavez day. I know he must stand in total solidarity with such an iconic hero of the labor movement. Si se puede, amigos. By the way, whatever happened to the idea of letting some of us call into the podcast directly? I thought we all needed to do, all we needed to do is donate to a worthy charity. Uh, just so you know, I have my tax return burning a hole in my pocket, and I found some organizations with genuinely worthy goals and objectives. They are, one, the Rick Neuheisel Fund for Youth Athletic Equipment. <laughs> nice. Two, the Ryan Abraham Scholarship for USC Football. Uh, three, the Chris Peterson Department of Speech and Debate. Four, the Mike Leach Military Academy of Extraterrestrial Warfare. Five, Stanford's newly endowed David Shaw Memorial Chair of Scholarship and Intellectual Superiority. Uh, Six, the Sean Miller School of Accounting. Seven, Cal's Capital Campaign for 20th Century Athletic Facilities. Uh, The Colorado Football Historical Society. Nine, the Utah University Department for Human Resources Management. Ten, Arizona State's Institute for Golf Course Sustainability. 11, Oregon State University School of Public Relations, and 12, the Phil Knight Charity for Gifted and Underprivileged Youth, and last but not least, the Pac-12 Conference Vision Initiative, helping older men with severe myopia regain the gift of sight. I do apologize to Dave, however, I don't think a donation in your name to the Bernie Sanders campaign is tax (laughs) deductible. Anyway, let me know what you think, and I'll be sure to send in my $20.19 right away. Keep up the great work as always, amigos. Thomas. Oh, thanks, Thomas. Good stuff. There was, uh, there's some pretty interesting things in there. I like that. Um, we what, Do we want to have, like, a, we could do in the offseason. We could have someone call in and and be part of the show. But I think I think you have to leave multiple voicemails to show us you can do this. So. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to trust you and that requires multiple voicemails. Yeah. So like the the the, the nameless caller thought was a good voicemail. If that person calls back and actually tells us who he is, uh, you know, calls a couple times, we can invite him. So you're going to have to leave some voicemails. So that's a little bribery there, I think. Yeah, um, definitely. Podcast question from Anthony. Uh, hi Ryan and Dave. Who do you like in the final four? Mm. Um is Duke in there? No, they're not in there. Um, nope. Auburn, Texas Tech, Virginia, and Michigan State. Yeah. I kind of, I've always not been high on the Virginia team this year for some reason, but they are really good. I think Michigan State. I might go with Michigan State. He's the best tourney coach in that group, yeah. but I think I'm going to go Virginia. They're the best team. Okay. Uh, and then random questions. If you could uh, divest one thing. Uh, Disinvent. Oh, my God. Divest. Disinvent <laughs> one thing. I was trying to invest it. We were talking uh, investments before. Okay. Disinvent one thing. What would it be? So what would we take away? It's got to be either email or cell phones, right? I don't know because you use it so much, though. Email, email, email. 100% email. <laughs> but it's so it's so useful. Done. Gone. Gone. Email gone. It's not useful. It has actually, um, there's a really strong argument that it's ruined a lot of work. Um, like ask any lawyer, especially one who was around before email and after email, it's God awful because you're expected to answer that stuff all the time. Yeah, It's like ruined wage working because you have to like, you're then tied to it. And so it's linked to the cell phone, but I think the actual problem is more email than is anything. The email. All right. Um, I'm trying to, can't really, nothing's really popping, uh, on the top of my head. Uh, maybe like sugar-free desserts or like 
gluten-free crap stuff like that. like that never was a thing before like why why does it have to be a thing now where it's like everything's free of stuff that i like <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know because it might like hurt somebody else whatever i don't know um people actually used to die like the celiac disease and stuff i know um, but then you get like but it like but see nature's great we basically darwin <laughs> the people off that have a really really bad reaction to it and then now it's just the people that it annoys them a little bit. You know, it's not like killing them. Uh, those people died off. So, yeah, like after a while, the, that would go away, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, participation trophies. I would disinvent that. No more. You have to win to get a trophy. No more. Uh, well, those have been a thing for like 50 or 60 years. Like when I was a kid, we got a big trophy if we won, and we didn't get one if we lost. No, that's that's hot garbage. <laughs> Those little like <laughs> shitty plastic soccer trophies were around forever. This is such a dumb talking point. <laughs> everyone gets participation trophies, and you know whose fault it is that everyone gets participation trophies? Boomers, the same people who are responsible for everything that's wrong. Yes, I'm talking to all of you boomers listening wow. to this right now. Wait, way to destroy like our you know main target audience, or is that our main? Whatever, probably not, it's probably not our main target audience, but still. No, it's probably a bunch of Gen X and like older millennials. Yeah. Um. All right. So, get, get, send us your ideas for things to uh, disinvent, or you know, if you want to, um, <laughs> divert. Uh, what, what did I say the first time? Not divert. Divest. Divest. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't even think about. Yeah. It. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've seen online this week? Thank you from Anthony. Anthony, are, are you trying to get us to remember something that we saw on the internet this week? Because you're 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 asking us to remember something that is basically like just mush. Yeah, like that, like is there our uh, our attention span just isn't that long? Like you might see something cool, then you just move on. The most interesting thing I've seen online this week, Anthony. Is your question? Ah, that's very nice. Yeah. Um, Anthony asked some good off-topic questions. Yeah, I like his off-topic. I can't really questions. think of anything, so sorry about that, Anthony. I'll I'll think about it. No, it's it's not his fault. It's our fault. Yeah. Um, Nicholas, uh, he has got some early. So this is our man with um, CFB Winning Edge. Check oh. him out on Twitter. Um, he's got uh, early point spreads for a variety of games. These are projections from. CFB winning edge. Um, and so here are his uh, his numbers. What are they showing for? I think this is for the first week of games. Uh, he's got Arizona as a 9.34 point favorite at Hawaii. So about nine and a half points. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech at Clemson. Uh, Clemson is a 34 point favorite, 35 point favorite, actually. Uh, UCLA, uh, he's got, so this is interesting because I don't think most other numbers would be on board with this right now, but UCLA as a, basically a half point favorite at Cincinnati minus 0.62. Mm. Um, so that's interesting. He's got Utah as an 11.86 point favorite at BYU, which seems right or more or less Oklahoma state only a five and a half point favorite or 5.26 point favorite at Oregon state. That's interesting. So that would be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Northwestern at Stanford, Stanford as a 10 and a half point favorite, um, skipping ahead a little bit. He's got Georgia as a 14 point favorite at Vandy, uh, Bama as a 22 point favorite, um, in Atlanta versus Duke. And then Fresno state at USC, USC as a nine and a half point favorite. Seems um, kind of high, but all right. Seems a little high, yeah. but, 
you know, USC always has a ton of talent. Um, and then Virginia at Pitt, Pitt a four-point favorite. Virginia Tech at Boston College, Virginia Tech a 4.7-point favorite. Ole Miss at Memphis, uh, Memphis a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And Notre Dame at Louisville, uh, Notre Dame a nine-point favorite. It says, thanks and keep up the good work. Um, oh, and he forgot one. Oh, the big one. Uh, he has Oregon in Arlington as a 1.44-point favorite over Auburn. One-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, basically on the road. What would – I mean, I would take – just today I would take Auburn. What would you do? I wonder if that's – I wonder if Auburn lost a lot from last year because I, I – I, you know, I would be interested um, – Nicholas, I, I know you've kind of gone into it, but I'd be interested to see what goes into your formula for, like, kind of preseason assessments like this um, to determine, you know – because if you're factoring in returning talent and all that kind of stuff and how much weight you put on recruiting rankings and all that stuff, um, it'd be interesting to see because I think that would probably be an indication that Auburn maybe has lost a little bit. Yeah, I thought he said that they use like the talent composite index from 24-7 Sports, but it hasn't come out yet. So they Right, they but like how much thing. they weight certain things. Yeah. So anyway, but he might not want to even divulge that anyway. Interesting stuff. Uh, think, yeah, so we'll see. I mean... Uh, yeah, I, we saw what you know Auburn and Washington happened there. It's like it's hard for me to pick a Pac-12 school going uh, east and playing a SEC power. I like you might think Oregon's a better team, but just for whatever reason, that just doesn't work out for the Pac-12. So it would be tough to to be laying points and uh, you know picking Oregon for me. Uh, this is from yep. Bernie uh, for Dave. What is your opinion of Chip's assistance? Uh, assistance. It seems offensive line coach. Hank uh, Fraley is doing a great job teaching and recruiting, but I don't know a lot about the rest of the staff. Well, Bernie, I'm going to tell you, you don't know a lot about uh, any of the staff because Hank Fraley is not the offensive line coach. He's not even on staff anymore. Uh, Justin Fry is the offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, um, and he's awesome. So you got the name wrong, but you got the, the right idea. Uh, he's been, I think he was their best assistant coach last year. The offensive line improved leaps and bounds over the previous year, performed really well at the end of the year, grew throughout the year. Um, I think he's great. Um, and he got a much deserved promotion to, you know, offensive coordinator in name, at least, um, you know, Chip Kelly obviously calls his own plays, but he's really good. Um, I, I think, um, my jury is out on the defensive staff. Um, I don't know how good Azanaro is as a defensive coordinator. I don't know how good Ogabasi is as a defensive line coach. I don't know how good Don Pelham is. Um, so I'm, I, I like Kafusi so far as a recruiter, but we haven't seen him as a coach. Um, but I don't know that there's a lot of I, – the jury's out for me on defense. Um, offensively, I'm generally – completely fine with everything going on there. Deshaun Foster, I think, is good. Justin Fry, I think, is good. Doherty's good. Uh, yeah, Derek Sage is good. Um, I think they're all doing a fine job. Um, but defensively, I've got some I've got some reservations. If Fraley wasn't there last year, right? Like, he went to the line. No, no. Frank, Fraley, there was initially some talk that he was going to be retained, but then he moved on. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I think that might – there was some confusion right at the beginning because he was initially – it was announced that he was retained. But it was only through February, gotcha. and then he was gone. Gotcha. All right. And then he said, for Ryan, are you secretly hoping Graham Harrell can overcome Clay Helton's deficiencies? Thanks, guys. Bernie. I mean, I don't really hope for anything. I just kind of watch and see what I think. I feel like Graham Harrell will fix 
there's there's a lot of problems in the USC football program and Clay Helton's football program. I think Graham Harrell can fix a good amount of problems. He's not fixing every problem, but they should be more fun to watch. They should be more efficient on offense. They should be not relying on big plays where just five-star quarterback throws to five-star receiver and hopes he catches it. Uh, they should be able to scheme guys open, spread the field, uh, run a much uh, an offense that looks competent and has a you know and has a true identity. So I think it, he fixes a lot of that stuff, but he doesn't fix everything. And there's a lot, there's a lot of other problems that they have too. So they might score more points and still not win a lot more games. My my gut is they're going to go from like a five and seven to a you know eight and four kind of thing. You know with but they're talented enough. They're they're still you know we talked to uh, um, you know. They're still going to be the most talented team uh, in the conference, and that was uh, according to Nicholas, right? Like when we talked to him a couple weeks ago or last week. So yeah, they could go ten and two or something. But my guess is he will uh, he'll overcome some of those deficiencies, but not not all of them. Yep. All right, we got one last thing. Um, it's just a compliment, but we'll read it. This is from Chappie. Good work. Hey, Ryan and David. My name is Tim Chipman. I Tim Chapman, sorry. Um, I am a college football writer out of the Midwest. I do a national college football po- podcast called A Bowl of Chips. A Bowl Full of Chips. Sorry. A Bowl Full of Chips. And I love listening to your show to help keep informed on the goings-on in the Pac-12. Just wanted to send you some love and encourage you to keep up the good work. We'll surely keep listening, but we also encourage you guys to check us out if you have the inclination. Chappie. All right, I'll check it out. Thanks, Chappie. I like a good national college football podcast, so that's a bowl full of chips if anyone is interested in uh, in getting in on another uh, college football podcast. Yeah, do you are you you're not big into the college football podcast, right? Like you listen to like some of the weird ones, like podcast ain't played nobody or something, or which one do you no or. Is that the one you listen to, or yeah, I'll listen to a podcast and play nobody, and I listen to the Shutdown Fullcast, Shutdown which is Fullcast, only, yeah, which is only like very vaguely a college football fo- podcast. Um, I don't listen to Stu and 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 uh, and Bruce's much. The audio quality was just killing me for so long, which I realize is ironic considering <laughs> I'm usually the um, <laughs> the one destroying our audio. Um, but I just couldn't do it, and I don't know. Yeah, but um, and then I kind of got out on the solid verbal for a while. Um, I I go into that one like for about half a season, and then it's just it's really good for what it is like, which is like it's pretty kind of high level, just kind of talking about everybody. But I get kind of bored with that over time, um, which is why I like the podcast ain't played nobody. They'll go they'll do like a deep dive into like Wyoming football or something. Yeah. But it's I, I don't give two shits about Wyoming football, but I'll, I'll eat that up. Cause it's just, yeah. you know, it's more in depth. It's more, it feels like they've, they've done a lot of research and, and it's uh it's cool stuff. The shutdown full cast is the one where it feels like you're just like, you're picking up like a Tolstoy and just start reading in the middle. Like, and you're just like, you've got to, you've got to, <laughs> you've yeah, got to really? listen for a while and you've got to find a good entry point. Like you need somebody to suggest to you like a good entry point because otherwise you're just like, what the hell is it I'm listening there's to? There's not right even now? like an introduction. They just start talking, right? Like it's just No, it, it, well there's there's an introduction which is just Spencer Hall just shouting welcome and then it's uh they just end it. Like there's no outro ever. It's just ended. <laughs> like it's just done and there's no goodbye or anything. They just end it. They cut it off. The first like 3 episodes I listened to, I was like, "Where what what? Did my thing just cut out? What the hell happened?" 
Um, yeah. But it's really funny. Like when they get a good riff going, it is. It's one of the funniest things I've ever listened to. All right. Cool. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll have to check that one out. Yeah. I try to. I add stuff to the rotation. I take it away. I'm trying to listen to more of them. Now, sometimes I get bored. I'll just do streaming music in the car. But most of the time, you know, if I have to drive a little more, I like listening to podcasts. And I, I, it's funny, I used to go to the gym and listen to it, but now I'm kind of taking classes. So, like, they have their own music. So I don't really get to listen to stuff in the gym anymore. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll put it, I'll, I'll put it on there and uh, check it out. You do a lot of like non sports podcasts, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I do some history podcasts. I do some politics podcasts. Um, but I do, yeah, I kind of do a variety of stuff. Um, I like history stuff because it's timeless. Like you can kind of just listen to it whenever. So I'll go through like a phase. Like I was listening to this, um, the Revolutions podcast for a while, Ooh. which is just basically this one guy doing series about every revolution from, I think, basically the English Civil War on. Um, and that's really good. Um, and I can just kind of dive into that for a while and then just pull out and, you know, not listen to it for seven months and get back into yeah. it. Um, I would do that. I do like a lot of history stuff. I would like something like yeah. that. Now I probably wouldn't listen to your like modern socialism podcast or whatever, but you know, I would, you know, I'd do the history ones. I, I honestly, I, I wouldn't recommend it for many people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I've, I've listened to a lot of this garbage <laughs> i do there's just so many podcasts out there every idiot has a podcast now us um, and I'm, I'm definitely throwing us in there yeah i did i you know the one of the biggest ones or i think it's the 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 adam carolla one are you a fan of his or not really or no not really i mean i was like everyone was when they were like 16 years old but i you know i grew out of that okay i i started listening to it again well i had one of the guys Paul Bryan, one of his sidekicks, is a USC guy. I had him uh, come on my po- podcast, and I had to start listening. I really wasn't listening to it, so I was listening to it before I had him on. And I was like, I remember why I liked you know listening to uh, him on K Rock because he was always funny. He did the, you know, so I if I've been listening to it. It's pretty good, but hey, I'll probably yeah. get out of it for a while. But it's it's funny. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, that is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks for uh, sending in your questions. Sorry we didn't record this till Friday. We each had stuff going on every day, it seemed, and so we finally got this out there. But we we did it. We didn't miss a week, so we're we're back here. Well, not sure we'll do it next week. We'll figure it out. We only got a couple schools left, Dave. I think. Yeah, only uh, I think three more. Washington State, Oregon State. That might be it, right? Or is we that did... it? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, nice. I think that's it. Cool. All right, well, we'll check those out. Uh, thanks for everyone for uh, listening to our little show. We do appreciate that. Tell your friends. Any Pac-12 friends you have, tweet them, Facebook them, whatever you got to do. Put it on your favorite message board. Let them know about the Podcast of Champions. So thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.